Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of the Marketing Distilled Podcast. My name is Jonathan Gaby. I'm your master distiller here on the podcast. And today we get to sit down with Christine Gritman. Christine is a uh, marketing strategist, branding strategist, and has a whole wealth of experience and knowledge to share with those who will listen to her. And in this episode, we talk to her to get her get to know her background and uh, find out what small businesses can do uh, to brand themselves and to build a personal brand or to build their company's brand and catch up with her about Social Media Week Lima, a uh, yearly conference that happens in Lima, Ohio, uh, put on by Jessica Phillips and the Now Marketing Group, and just kind of ask her about her current work as a senior editor of the Social Media Pulse community, sponsored by Agora Pulse, a social media uh, marketing platform that helps you manage your Facebook and Twitter and some other things like that. And that's about it for this episode. Um, I'll turn it over to our conversation. And thanks for tuning in and enjoy our interview. All right. Well, I am Christine Gritman. And right now I'm sort of juggling two identities. I mean, I have more than two identities, don't we all? But two professional identities in particular. On the one hand, I'm Christine Gritman of Christine Gritman, Inc., personal branding specialist and host of Let's Talk About Brand and Chat About Brand. But on the other hand, I am also Christine Gritman, the senior editor of Social Media Pulse, which is a new online community for social media professionals powered by Agora Pulse. Cool. We'll talk about that in a few. Um, when I looked up your LinkedIn profile, you know, when when we do these interviews, we always want to find those little nuggets and, and things like that. Thorough. I've got lots of nuggets for you. And and there really is. Um, you know, I I could uh, let's talk about this first. Get get this uh, choir geek out of the way. I sing in choir, and it looks like that you did also sing in choir at your college at Vassar. Yes. Tell me. I also sang in in high school. I was a New York State All-State soprano. Yep. Nice. I was an All-State tenor uh, my junior year. Uh, You can't tell it anymore by my deep sonorous voice, but I I blame that on the (laughs) lifestyle choices that I've made. Uh, Tell me, tell me about like, uh, tell me like, 
what your favorite composer and favorite musical styles were. Oh, that, that you don't that you ask did. Me that. Um, back in high school, I mostly did kind of apparatic stuff because that's what you did when you could sing. But now I actually, I keep promising myself I'm going to enter voice lessons with the intention of exploring kind of jazz and the classic American songbook and all of that because my voice has matured to a place where I think it would be great for that. So so we'll we'll see where that goes. But but previously it was mostly kind of operatic stuff. Hmm. Cool. I, I remember like doing some, some Bach and some, you know, contemporary gospel stuff like that in college. And karaoke is of course always fun too. I'll, I'll do, I'll do all of that. In fact, last week at social media week, Lima, the after party was nineties themed. So I got to get a little bit out of my comfort zone. I sang, I sang some Nirvana. Oh, nice. (laughs) I sang some Alanis Morissette. Um, I was going to sing some whole, but unfortunately the party ended before that came up. But oh, prob- probably for the better. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was, there was, it was definitely different from opera. Yeah. To- <laughs> totally different technique. If yeah. any. Um, but, but at Vassar, you got your, your bachelor's in screenwriting of all things. Yeah. So um, then, then you had a really interesting career change where uh you got into like let's see. I'm just scrolling down here. Uh, I should have been better prepared, but there we no, go. It's all good. It's all uh, good. You, story, you, so. um, you started at Estee Lauder, one of the better uh, cosmetic companies in the world. Mm-hmm. And then I see this really interesting thing where you started to to write uh, for yourself and for the Journal News Media Group. Mm-hmm. What? Well, tell me, Christine. Why did you make the switch from cosmetics to writing about the news? Sure. So originally, my first career was in the um, cosmetics industry. It was in the kind of corporate end. So I worked a lot of different positions over my years at Estee Lauder, um, including with the Origins brand, with the Estee Lauder brand, with the, the corporation as a whole. And the Estee Lauder companies, they own a lot of different brands. It was like 20-something different brands. So, um, of course, as a lifelong branding geek, something that has continued, that that was pretty exciting for me to really get to know those brands, to get to know the industry. Um, I especially had a love of creating training programs at that point. That was the position I really wanted. And I had a position doing that for a little while, but it was at a lower level. There weren't growth opportunities. A lot of my 20s was really kind of trying to find the opportunity to do what I wanted to do and not really getting it which was really frustrating, but I did learn um, the value of the value of good branding, the value of brand voice and of really having guidelines around that. And I especially learned the value of networking. Um, A lot of the jobs that I got, a lot of the opportunities that I got were because I knew someone, someone could make a call and it wouldn't get me the job, but it would get me the interview. And I interviewed well, so then I would get me the job. And so it was an interesting time. Um, and then what happened, so I left the beauty industry specifically. I Another thing is I always found myself in a position where I was kind of helping the marketers and the designers play nice because hmm. they were just kind of speaking entirely different languages. They were at odds. Each one thought the other team were idiots. And I was like, guys, we're working on the same thing. And in fact, you guys all kind of want the same thing. You're just phrasing it differently. Let's work together. Let's respect each other. 
So um, I found myself in that position a lot and it was great. I was a creative project manager in a lot of different positions. And then there was sort of a half step where um, I was in my late twenties. I'd just gotten married. Uh, we had just moved up to the suburbs and I was really just burnt out on the beauty industry. By this point I was at um, Avon and I was just kind of like, you know, the, the pace of it. And this was in Manhattan, you know, so the pace of this industry the importance, you know, everything was life or death when it was actually just about rolling out a new fragrance. And I understand there's a lot of money on the line, but mm -hmm. it just got to me. So I kind of burnt out on all of it when I moved up to the suburbs. And I was like, I'm, I'm not doing this commute to the city anymore just to drive myself crazy with, <laughs> with all of this. <laughs> and so my half step was I stayed in the consumer goods industry, but I actually worked for a candy company that was just... Um, you know, like 20 minutes from home. And it was a much more chill environment. I could leave at five. And again, I was making the marketers and the designers play nice. And so the first big career transition there happened when I had my first child. I had my son hmm. and I had always thought that when I had my children, I would want to stay home with them. And once there were actual human children in the picture, I discovered that's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's very constant. It's... Ah, I just, I just kind of decided two things. I, I figured, first of all, okay, I do want to keep working. But I also realized that if I was going to be leaving him, I wanted to be more into what I was doing. So big, big, big career transition number one was I left that job at the candy company and struck out on my own as a creative freelancer. In the years before that, actually, I had set the groundwork for this because I had gone back to school to do a continuing education program in graphic design at the new at Parsons, the new school for design mm -hmm. in New York city. And so when I quit my job, I figured, okay, well I'll be a graphic designer. And I also had a, had a gig through a friend, a paid gig doing funny photoshops for a comedy website. So that was another <laughs> part of what I did. That's cool. And then I just kind of tacked on at the end uh, and I'll write too. And I just kind of cold pitched a few local lifestyle publications. I'm like, yeah, why the heck not? I, I had always written. I never considered myself a writer specifically. Yeah. But I figured, okay, you know, might as well toss that in there. And also happening at the same time, an old mentor of mine from my beauty days called me. Like the day I gave my notice at the candy company and decided to make this big change an old mentor of mine called me. She said, hey, I'm at Shiseido Cosmetics now and we have a job. We're putting together two positions right now that would be perfect for you. And it was basically what I'd spent my whole 20s wanting. Mm -hmm. And I could not believe that I heard myself at age, I guess, 31 saying, um, sorry, I can't. And she and she was like, well, I, th I think you should just come in and, and talk to the hiring manager. I really think you guys should at least know each other. So I did. And they didn't have any work from home or flexible, whatever, at that time. Um, but yeah, I that wasn't a thing back then. Yeah, but I talked to them, and the role the roles were indeed like perfect for what I used to want. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I can't go back working in the city every day. Like that's just not where my life is right now. And I said, and so they offered me the position for way more money than I'd ever made in my life. And I'm very proud of what I said. I said, so I still can't do it. <laughs> oh, and they offered me two <laughs> days a week from home. That's the other thing. This was something quick, we didn't get. Quick question. Anything. How, yeah. what was the like commute time from where you were living to where 
Like, I guess this is in downtown um, New York City or. Yeah. Uh, it, it winds up being like hour, hour and a half each way. Wow. Yeah. Um, and especially with a new baby, I'm like, mm, maybe not. Yeah. That's three so, hours a I day mean, in my, the car. Yeah. I mean, my husband didn't have a long commute at this time either. He was working close to home. So it was like, uh, do I really want to mess this up? So, so anyway, you're really, really proud of what, what you I, said to them. I said, and, and they offered me two days a week from home, which was amazing and generous of them. And I said, I still can't do it, but here's what I'm going to propose to you. I'm going to propose that since I, I just decided to do this whole freelance creative freelancer thing. Anyway, I'm going to propose that you bring me on, on a retainer basis. I'll give you approximately 20 hours a week ish from home. I'll come down to the city, to the office when it's like right before an event, like we're preparing a presentation for something, we have a deadline, fine, I'll come into the office for a day here and there. But mostly I'll just be a freelancer from home and you'll give, and I did the math and I made it basically half of what they had offered me as an annual salary and kind of divided that by by the months. And I was like, you'll give me this much a month, I'll give you approximately 20 hours a week of work. It, it ebbed and flowed, but you know. Mm-hmm. And it worked for a few years. I was shocked they said yes. Um, and, and so that was great while I was launching my freelance career that I had that nice steady client going on because all the rest of my jobs were, you know, really piecemeal. And, and it was really cool. And I got to be more involved in marketing than I had been previously because I was working directly with, because at Estee Lauder and, and at Avon, I had been you know, sort of the conduit between marketing and creative. And this, I was, I was directly on the marketing team. Um, sometimes it was training program stuff, but it was basically taking the translations of the product development stuff and the marketing stuff from Japan um, already translated for me. But the fact is, even with the translation, the type of language they use when presenting things to their market is very different. So yeah. when I take all of that information and sort of synthesize it to better reflect the North American marketing right i mean how many how many times have we gotten like user manuals or something from amazon that it it makes sense but it just kind of like huh this has been translated by someone in japan and they really it wasn't even just about poor translation like they just use different they use more flowery language um that legal would never okay yeah (laughs) for consumer (laughs) products in the u.s so that was really cool and i also was uh, doing a little bit of graphic design which i did not find as fulfilling as i had expected and to my surprise the writing really took off and i had a whole bunch of steady gigs from local publications um just writing about you know for one publication i was writing about food for another it was about big beautiful houses um uh, for another, it was about new businesses opening. It was just really fun. And that caught on. Mm-hmm. So that was career number two, my freelance career. And then, and that was cool because I was able to get a lot of different, develop, to develop a lot of different skills. And again, to develop a lot of different um, connections. And so then, once again, a big career shift was occasioned by a child. <laughs> I had my daughter mm-hmm. and I had this catch 22 where I said, you know, I, I was making enough with my freelance work to put my son in part-time daycare so that I could get more work done. Um, but two is twice as expensive as one. And I said, well, I don't make enough to put them both in part-time daycare, but if I don't, I can't make more. 
<laughs> because when will I work? Right. You know, strapping my daughter to my chest um, and and bouncing on the yoga ball while while I worked only got me so far. Lots more typos doing that. Oh that my way. god! And I was just like, okay, I was at a crossroads. I said I need to either stop trying to do both and just own being a stay at home mom. Stop pulling myself in multiple directions. Just be a mom. Mm-hmm. And I can't say just be a mom because that's huge. Right. Um, but, you know, stop trying to do both or get a full time job somewhere, which sounded really depressing to someone who'd been working for herself. This transition happens again later in my story. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, but I don't want to get a job. Um, Sounds so and boring and corporate. I, no, and I, it's just I had been used to dull. my time being my own. Right. And it's hard to let go of that, especially with, with two littles at home. I think so nowadays that, that when, when people get a taste of like the freelance life and having mm-hmm. to like, you know, they, they work for themselves and they, they cash checks that people write to them and manage mm-hmm. their own thing. It's really, really tough to like go back into like the office, let's say, even, even now, you know. It can be, but things tend to work out really well for me. And <laughs> this was no exception. Um, at that time, one of my favorite clients, which was the Journal News, our local newspaper, um, who I'd been freelancing for, they said, you know, we have a position, a full-time position that we think you'd be great for, come in and interview. And I have to say that first position they told me about, I had a panic attack the night before the interview because I said, this is too big a change for me, too big a change for my family. Ah, I can't do it. And I canceled. Mm. Really? So <laughs> I canceled. And a couple weeks later, my editor who was also a mom and is also, and is a friend of mine. She said, okay, we have this other position. <laughs> I also think you'd be good for Let, Let's, let's talk about what's going on. I said, okay, here's the deal. I just feel like it would be too big a change. I feel like it'd have to be, you know, going out to events at night, which is very funny now, knowing how I live now that that was my objection. But back then I thought it would be a big change. And um, I said, you know, it's just too big a change for my family. And she said, well, come in, let's talk. And I got the job. It was my title changed so many times (laughs) during my brief time with the paper. I came in as a first homes reporter. Mm -hmm. So targeting the 25 to 45 demographic, which I was right in the middle of. I was about 35. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, people who were buying their first homes, which I had done myself just a few years earlier in the area. What are things they might want to know about? What are things that would be interesting to them? Um, so that was cool. And I, I really, it was life changing how deeply that job changed me. I, I took really well to it. The structure was healthy for me. Um, I did get to go home at five, which was wonderful. But what was really, really cool is that This was when I first developed what I now know was a personal brand. And it was also the first time Mm. I used social media professionally. And it was something that came extremely naturally. This wasn't, they didn't have really a set of guidelines yet for how to do that. This was about um, 2015. And so um, it was actually a really great time to be getting into all of this because I just naturally said, okay, well, if I'm going to be covering our community, I want to engage with the community. So I started a new public Facebook profile. 
um, which is now the only one I use, but <laughs> I locked down the privacy settings on my old one and I started just using this, this public one publicly mm -hmm. to connect with people in the community, the movers, the shakers, so I could find out what was really going on. I joined back then you couldn't join any Facebook groups as a page, just as a profile. So I joined all the town Facebook groups for the towns that we covered. I said, if we want to know what's going on and have an ear to the ground, we have to see what people talk about amongst themselves. And that's how we suss out where there's a story. And that's how we know what people will be engaged in. And again, nobody told me to do this. I just kind of got it. And was I it, was it something that you learned or was it something that no, you just like thought up on your own to, to do? I just thought it up. It just made sense to me. And so, and I did that with, uh, with Instagram and with Twitter, I just started new accounts, locked down the privacy on my old ones. Um, and again, as with that, the public ones are now my real ones. They're mm. the only ones I deal with now. So now we're all thinking, where's Christine Gritman really on the internet? That's the, I that's mean, the, the public ones are the real ones. My old <laughs> Instagram that used to be my main Instagram, the private one. Now it's basically just pictures of my kids. My old Facebook, I have not updated in God knows how long. Um, my old Twitter, I don't think I can even get into anymore. So, you know, so I just, but at the time it was okay. This is my public persona and my private persona. Um, right. and it was incredible. And suddenly everyone knew me and I start and I, the real game changer was a project I did called the hippest towns contest. It was supposed to be the coolest towns contest. And the day it launched, I was out sick and someone renamed it. I will always remember who that someone was. <laughs> like hip hip what year is it so so do you think that was a bad uh rename or or it was a bad rename but that's okay because the project was incredible i was like i want to learn more about these towns i'm covering and i want to do something that's going to be really interactive and get people engaging and so i basically conceived this march madness style bracket situation where we team up pairs of towns and uh, people would vote. And then the next week, you know, like it started out with eight. So it was four sets of two. Um, and then the next week we would be down to four. And the next week we'd be down to two. And it, and it would basically be, um, I think it started with 16 actually. But anyway, each week I did some reporting on all of the towns. So hmm. of course the first round, the reporting was a little lighter because I was handling all these different towns, yeah. but I discovered, you know, if I'm going to these towns to write about them anyway, I might as well share my journey on social media. And then the whole newsroom was able to take um, what did and didn't work on social media. Cause we didn't have best practices. This was kind of new. Mm -hmm. So we were able to all learn from what did and didn't work on those little social media ventures and improve upon them the next week. We shared them in the newsroom with everybody and we're like, okay, so here's what's happening with this. And it just really became this whole thing. I remember, I think it was the second week of it, we discovered that the reason one of the towns had pulled ahead is because one of the local businesses in particular had been, had been um, amplifying this. So I said, okay, next week, I'm actively targeting the local businesses in all these towns and having them you know, use their voice to be like, Hey everyone, it's gotta be our town. So that's a question I have, like, yeah. like in, in this age, probably mm -hmm. your analytics wasn't as uh, robust as, as it is mm -hmm. now, probably maybe that's changed, but so what kind of, what kind of metrics were you tracking that the newsroom was paying attention to in those days? The analytics through the social media platforms were not as robust, but the newsroom had paid analytic programs that were tracking things. Yeah. 
and we had paid additional insights into Facebook and things like that, we could see at what point in a video viewers dropped off, which wasn't something I think the general public had access to in 2015, but we did. Yeah. Another thing we had access to that most people didn't have access to in 2015 was live streaming. And so we got to play with that. In fact, um, at the end of the contest, we And this is okay. 2015. Live streaming yeah. is the thing now, but yeah, here, here we are, seven, seven, eight years before. Yeah, Don't ask I me to do math on the fly. Be, you had to have a blue check, which I did. Um, it was in beta. And I think that also just um, my paper also had access to live stream, but it was not a general thing yet. And one thing that we did is when we were down to the final two and we were announcing the winner, I said, tune in live at 10 a.m. Monday morning, and I will be broadcasting live from either Peekskill Coffeehouse in Peekskill or Rory Dolan's in Yonkers. Hmm. And so people had to tune in live to find out where I was, who had won, and I and each of the each of the finalists had breweries. So I was able to say in advance, we're having a party to celebrate the winner on X date in either Yonkers Brewing Company or Peekskill brewery <laughs> so people could kind of save the date yeah um and so it was really great we had the live reveal of of who had won uh the mayor turned up of the winning city which was yonkers um someone had tipped him off which was actually good yeah <laughs> and, and we're not we're gonna say to who that was but yeah and we we're able to announce the party the following week and the party the following week was pretty epic we live streamed from there too we were just really <laughs> able to use these these social engagement tools to a degree that we hadn't before and um again it was killer for my personal brand um which wasn't something i knew what to do with yet in fact i'm i'm giving the opening uh session at social media day wichita this year and i'm going to talk about this about the fact that my personal brand developed before i knew what it was about or what to do with it but it was pretty epic, and I got promote. I got promoted to engagement editor, so my whole job became being a presence in the community, not only myself but also kind of on behalf of the paper. So instead of having a specific beat to write about, my job was to just be involved in the community, just show up at events and, and write about them that week, and and help the other people in the newsroom um, brand themselves better communicate on social media better, um, put together events for them to meet the communities they were covering, just, just engagement. And it was, it was epic. And then, and then people started asking me to give talks about social media, Ooh. which was not something I thought of myself as knowing anything about. I just kind of did it, you know, it came naturally. So I didn't realize it was a skill kind of like how previously I didn't consider myself a writer. I figured, well, doesn't everybody write? Nope. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's funny because like the things that you and I are involved in, like mm -hmm. branding and marketing strategy, those kind of things, it, the, these things are, are kind of like, they just come naturally. And we assume yeah. that everybody else knows mm -hmm. like to get really nitty-gritty and in, into like the geekiness of me i know how to you know install wordpress on a local server and mm -hmm. and, and do all these some little technical things that most people like what's wordpress but yeah. anyway it, it's just fascinating how how we our our talents just kind of come up we don't fish really know don't it know, 
fish don't know they're wet. Right. You know, so so there's a tendency, it's related to imposter syndrome, but it's a little bit different. There's a tendency where when we're good at something, it comes easily to us. And mm-hmm. so we think it's easy. And coming easily to us is not the same as being easy. Furthermore, something coming easily to us does not mean that that something is not valuable. So um, I had to learn this. And so when I first started, when people first started asking me to talk about social media, I was like, well, I don't know anything, but okay. And I soon realized, oh, there's people who know way less. Okay. So as long as I know more than they do, I am helpful. So that's how I first started getting over it. And then I was like, well, also the other way to get over feeling like you're not an authority on something is to learn. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, social media is an area where there are ample opportunities to learn, um, free opportunities, informal opportunities. And so I took it. I have no marketing education whatsoever, but I took advantage of all of those um you know, the opportunities to learn by doing, the opportunities to learn by listening to smart people. And after a while, I realized I was I was kind of falling a little too much in love with it. <laughs> and I was at another crossroads. I was like, okay, my job is amazing. I love this job that I have, but I kind of want to go into business as a social media person. <laughs> <laughs> what? And, and this just seems so crazy to me. And I actually fumbled on my way to taking that leap. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to decide between three things. It was like three suitors, you know, behind the doors of the mm-hmm. dating game. There was go start my own social media business. There was a woman who I'd become very friendly with who ran a longstanding PR agency And she was getting into social media and she actually offered me something of a partnership. Um, Hmm. It was kind of unclear exactly what we would be doing, but. I'd say most partnerships are kind of unclear. Like we don't really know. I mean, she knew I had a knack for this um, and she knew that it would benefit her business. And so we were figuring out that. But then at the same time, I got a curveball thrown at me. My editor in chief of the paper loved me. And she brought someone in from corporate to talk to me because there was a position she thought I'd be uniquely awesome at. They had had trouble keeping it filled, but it was essentially being, the the, the gist was increasing our subscriptions. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you know, generally there's been sort of this iron curtain between the newsroom and the business end of the paper to protect journalistic integrity and all of that because we don't want business concerns to impact the reporting. She's like, that's fascinating. She's like, but uh, that's true in a lot of newsrooms. She's like, but it could go the other way. I I don't think it's a bad idea to have someone who's familiar with what's going on in the newsroom uh, help increase our subscriptions because you know what our audience is responding to. You know what we do really well. And so even though I knew darn well that I wanted to go off on my own and start my social media business, I faltered. I, I went for the uh, comfortable route just for a couple weeks. Mm. I took the position. I actually got incredibly good Facebook ads training just in that too. I learned about custom audiences. I'm like, whoa, this is incredible. I learned a lot about Facebook advertising such that it was in 2016 when this was going on. Right. Um, 
But yeah, when it came down to it, there was, um, I, I realized really quickly that I had made the wrong choice. Um, I, I quit after I think two weeks. Cause I said, you know what? I want to make sure that they don't invest too much in training me. If I, if I am going to be just leaving. Hmm. And I was like, thank you so much for the opportunity. I actually asked for my old job back and, and my editor was like, uh, sorry. <laughs> it's been filled. <laughs> so, so I went and I, I started my own business in May of 2016 and I made sure to go to a lawyer and register. I thought I was registering an LLC. They wound up uh, registering me as an S corp um, just cause that's what the lawyer recommended. And I was like, all right, I registered that ASAP just because I said, if I don't do this, I'm not going to do it. Right. And in fact, I was like, if I don't, if I try to build this as a side hustle on the side of my job at the paper, I won't do it. It's like, I have to leap. Otherwise I will half ass this. Hmm. That's interesting because most people I follow, John Acuff, the whole lot of them are like, well, you need to start it out as a side hustle. Do yeah. it until like you have that. at least like 50% of your normal income and then yeah. quit your job. And then you can like gas on, on a fire, do what you need to do to raise that to the other 50. Yeah. But, but you're, you're kind of like me. I'd, I'd rather be like, jump off the, the diving board or, you know, just go all in on it. There are four pieces of privilege there that I had that I want to acknowledge. One of them was that I have a husband who um, can pay our mortgage and money was very tight when it was tight. Mm -hmm. But the fact is we weren't out on the street. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I did have that security. I also furthermore had the security of um, my parents could help out. You know, my parents weren't going to let me wind up on the street either. So I did have a place of financial security. I also had an incredibly strong local network. So while I was starting a brand new business in an industry that I'd never worked in before, which sounds like what some would call starting from scratch, I was not starting from scratch simply because I was starting with a really strong network behind me. Mm -hmm. In fact, before I quit my job, I set up private meetings. Um, I had I had written about uh, food for a little while. So I had good relationships, still do have good relationships with a lot of local chefs. And so I met with four of them. I said, uh, four who I knew I could trust, not to go telling on me to my bosses. Mm -hmm. And I presented what I was thinking. And I said, would this be something your business would be interested in? And one of them said, yeah, and I'm hiring you now. Technically, two of them said that. But then uh, one of them, the next person who walked in their door was a new general manager who had social media skills. So, but anyway, hmm. <laughs> um, so I, and then I mean, 25% conversion rate is, is great. No. And, and, um, so that was, that was incredible that I had all of those things kind of, um, helping to support me. And, and so I did all of that. And, um, so Christine Gritman Inc during its years, it evolved. So that was career number four. And it evolved over the years. It start. I started out saying, I want to do social media for local restaurants. And I got what I thought I wanted. And I was like, oh, God, this isn't what I want. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's very constant. And these were very specials-driven restaurants. So mm -hmm. they literally wouldn't know what the specials were that day until it was practically dinner time. I'm like, well, we can't post this now. Yeah. <laughs> um. So it was very frustrating. It was very constant. Um, and I realized pretty quickly that it was best not only for me, but also for the businesses themselves 
for me to teach them how. And so that's what became the core of my business for a while, um, was teaching small local businesses how to do their own social media better. I knew their pain points. I knew why they thought they couldn't do it. I knew why they thought they didn't know how. I knew why they thought they were too busy. I knew why they thought they couldn't come up with stuff to post. And I just made it as easy as humanly possible for them. And that was very satisfying um, until it wasn't. Um, 2020 was an interesting time because my business did extremely well in 2020 um, because businesses that had been hesitating to get online, it really was, you know, poop, shall we say, or get off the pot when it comes to like, now's the time, do it or don't, sink or swim, let's go with sink or swim. And so they were, they either had to roll over and say, I guess we're going out of business now, or they needed to say, okay, we're going to stop resisting social media. I did a lot of free work in 2020 and I still made more than I'd ever made um, in this business, which was fantastic. And um, also towards the end of 2020, in August, I usually take a step back and sort of recalibrate. And that August, I realized, you know, everyone keeps talking about my personal brand. That is what the origin of everything was. Maybe I should talk more about personal branding because that's something that I always love doing with my clients anyway. I always love, you know, tell your personal story, show them the face behind the brand, all of that. I'm like, maybe I should go, I should look more into this personal branding thing. And I relaunched, I had a, uh, a weekly interview show called Social that was kind of open topic on social media. And when I came back that fall, I said, nope, I'm not doing social anymore. I'm doing a brand new show called Let's Talk About Brand. And I'm also going to pair it with a Twitter chat, chat about brand. And um, and so the structure that I, because I met a lot of people through Twitter chats. It's how I developed a lot of my personal brand. It's how I met a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, through things like Madeline Sklar's Twitter Smarter Chat. Right. And I said, you know what, let's do that. And, and bless Madeline. Um, she absolutely is one of those people who just shares Um, very generously. Um, She's not one of those people who sees someone else entering her space and says, ah, competition, because she's secure in what she brings to the table. And so I talked to her and I asked for her advice on starting up a Twitter chat. And she was so happy to help. Um, And a lot of people were so generous and, and happily had me guest on their Twitter chats, guest on their podcasts and guest on their live streams actively as close as possible to the launch of my new show and my Twitter chat so that Uh I could get visibility. And that was incredible. So, um, so that was, you know, fall 2020 and then 2021 was my worst year in business. It was devastating things that I had tried that I had, you know, done in 2020 or had done previously were just all of a sudden not working at all. Hmm. And I think it was a combination of businesses were starting to reopen. So they were hesitant to spend money on stuff like this because they already had to spend money on all sorts of other stuff like plexiglass or, you know, just even recouping the money they had lost the previous year. So they were less inclined to spend money on things like marketing. And also just just luck. I don't know. 
but 2021 was really, really hard. Um, I made very little money in 2021. It was very stressful for my family. I felt like a total fraud because mm-hmm. my whole thing is teaching people how to succeed with right. social media and personal branding. And here I was, I was known. My my star had never shined brighter. Like people knew who I was. And I was like behind on our mortgage. Like my car almost got repossessed. I was like, this is nuts. What is happening? It was terrifying. That is terrifying. I've never yeah. been in that position before. I mean, I was just like, what is, and it was causing stress on my marriage, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so, um, in November, uh, my husband and I were talking and I was like, you know, you used to be, you know, such a happy, fun guy. And now you're the stress case. And, and he said, yeah, well, <laughs> when I'm not solely responsible <laughs> for carrying our family on my back here, uh, you'll get that guy back. I'm like, I don't believe you. He's like, try me. Yeah. And so shortly thereafter, I had this moment. I have only had a moment like this once before in my life where it felt like a piano of truth just dropped on me all at once and flattened me. Mm-hmm. The The previous time had been the boyfriend before Greg. I just had a moment. I remember exactly where I was in the moment where I was like, oh my God, I need to break up with him. This isn't going to work. And for context, your your husband's name is Greg. This, my husband is Greg. So the boy who I was breaking up with was not Greg. Right. <laughs> so I understand that, but sometimes, you know, the people who, who might listen to the show might, who's Greg? So yeah. anyway. Oh yeah. Sorry. So piano falling on my head moment in 2006. Was, Wish I had a sound oh, effect. I have, to, I have to break up with Justin. Piano falling on my head moment in 2021 was, I've been wondering since I started my business when it would be time to call it. And it's time to call it. I need to get a job. And right after the piano of truth falling on my head moment, I had to go appear on someone's live stream. So I couldn't break down. (laughs) (laughs) Had to put on the show face. Stiff upper lip and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I have to look back and see whose show it was. Um, I don't remember at all. But I, I put on the show face. I kicked ass. As soon as I, you know, closed my computer, I broke down sobbing. And this was right before Mm. Thanksgiving, too. Um, Wow. And I was like, I don't even know what I want because I don't want anything. It it was just crazy. And then I said, and this is honestly, I I mean, I I think you've probably experienced this in your life, too. Sometimes, whether you want to call it the universe or God or fate or just life, something will just lead you where you need to be when you need to be there. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I was like, oh, I don't want anything. I was like, eh. the only job I had applied for during my years of self-employment when I was not looking for a job, but it came up and I was like, well, this is an opportunity. Why not apply for it? It sounds awesome. Was that Agora Pulse? Okay. I was an ambassador for Agora Pulse. I loved Agora Pulse. I knew people who worked there were happy at Agora Pulse. And so in that moment, I said, you know, let's see what they've got. And they had a job that sounded amazing for me. <laughs> and I and I wrote, I, I Facebook messaged my friend Deb Mitchell, who worked at Agora Pulse. And I said, do you know this team? Is this on your team? 
And she said, oh my God, call me right now. <laughs> you need to apply for this. It was directly on her team. Um, she was not the hiring manager. It was, it's, it's uh, working alongside her. She's like, call me right now. But of course, keep in mind, I was sobbing my face off. I'm like, yeah. oh, can I call you Friday? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not ready to take um, phone calls right now. Can I call you like, mm, yeah, so, not so like, now? I had Thanksgiving, day after Thanksgiving, Friday, I sat down with my little spreadsheet. I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to make sure I don't put myself into a trap. I'm going to make mm-hmm. sure I, I, I go for a job I really want. Right. And ideally one that will also let me keep all this stuff I've been building, my personal brand, my content, my community, all of that. And so I only looked at three companies. Okay. I looked at Agora Pulse, HubSpot, and LinkedIn because they were all companies where I knew people who worked there. I knew people who worked there who had previously been self-employed, mm-hmm. but were really happy at these companies and were still totally allowed to embrace and grow their personal brands. There was no like anti-side hustle nonsense. Yeah. And Agora Pulse was literally the first one. I did talk to Deb on Friday. She said, this is actively on my new team. You need to talk to the hiring manager, Paul. I will tell him your resume is on the way. Send it today because I know they're about to start interviewing. And um, so that is the job that I have, senior editor of the Social Media Pulse community. Um, And so here's a weird thing. I did look at jobs at LinkedIn and HubSpot. Um, I spoke to people I know at LinkedIn and HubSpot about those jobs so I could strengthen my applications. I didn't wind up applying for any of them. Hmm. (laughs) This, this senior editor at social media pulse, it was just so clearly for me and it was a crazy gamble and it was, it was, it could have been a very stupid gamble, but thankfully it was right thing, right place, right moment, right time. And I got it. And, um, and it, it too has been life changing. So this is career number five and it's, it just really ties together so much, um, of what I've learned about myself in the previous God, like 20 years that I've been working. It's, it's incredible. Mm. <laughs> well, that, that's a, a really great, uh, art story arc. Uh, definitely mm-hmm. taken your, uh, screenwriting ability that you gained at Vassar College so many years ago, just a few, and you've created a really, really nice like uh, arc of of the story that is Christine Gritman. And uh, we're going to take a break and then pay off some bills and then <laughs> come back and ask you some more tactile questions. This episode of Marketing Distilled is brought to you by Agora Pulse. As a marketer, you may very well be overwhelmed managing your social media from creating content consistently, responding to comments and your audience, and figuring out what is working and what isn't in your business. Meet Agora Pulse. Agora Pulse helps you stay organized and save time with Agora Pulse's social media inbox, publishing, reporting, and monitoring tools. Plus, if you have a large team, Agora Pulse has collaboration, moderation, and editing tools built right in. Join folks like Ogilvy, Shipt, Confluent Health, and over 31,000 other social media managers by signing up today for your free 15-day trial. Visit jonathangaby.com slash agorapulse to get started. 
That's jonathangabey.com slash A-G-O-R-A-P-U-L-S-E. This episode of Marketing Distilled is brought to you by WP Engine. WP Engine is the world's leading WordPress digital experience platform that gives enterprises and agencies the agility, performance, intelligence, and integrations they need to drive their business forward faster. WP Engine's combination of tech innovation and an award-winning team of WordPress experts is trusted by over 60,000 companies across over 140 countries to provide counsel and support to help brands create world-class digital experiences. I use WP Engine exclusively because of their strength in using WordPress and their unbeatable support when I need help. Get started by visiting jonathangaby.com slash WP Engine. That's jonathangaby.com slash WP Engine. So we are back at the Marketing Distilled podcast. I'm joined again by my lovely guest, Christine Gritman, and uh, we're going to bring it down a little bit. We've we've talked about her career and her story arc about uh, how she got into social media marketing from screenwriting at Vassar College, which is really in, in, interesting because I've learned a lot about my good friend here that I didn't know anything about before. It took me a podcast episode to get her to tell me about this, so... Maybe we'll try this again with other people I know. Anyhow, um, you know, th- this is the Marketing Distilled podcast, and, and, and my goal here is to give people, like, actionable things that, you know, taking big, complex, uh, like branding is a complex thing. What's um, What are some really tactile uh, things that, say, like a small business or an organization can do to build their business on online and for the world to see? So one really, really big thing is don't shy away from the personal and from the small. So a lot of times, small businesses, I was even told when I started my business, you know, don't call it your name, call it some business name. So you sound like you're a company. And I was even told, I was advised to make up an assistant to do an email address of like, you know, Sally at Christine Gritman, whatever. And, and, you know, just in general to create the impression of being a bigger agency or whatever, which I did not do because instead of the small seeming like the big, the big need to seem like the small. I have given presentations to Walmart, which is very not small Mm -hmm. about how to um, feel more local they, they, Walmart happens to have uh, deputized some people in each store to manage that local store's Facebook page. And I was like, that's what you need to, you need to emphasize, you know, we're not some big faceless, we're not some big, huge faceless behemoth. We are your friends and neighbors. We're in your community. You know, we are your community, Walmart. And that's what people want now. People don't want the big faceless behemoth. They don't want to feel like they're buying some, um, billionaire executives fifth summer home they want to feel like they're investing in someone's story and no matter how big a business you are you started with someone's story so embrace that embrace the fact that you are giving them a story to root for and that you can be a part of their story 
I think that's really key too. small businesses in particular, especially if you're teeny tiny local mom and pop, which is, which is who I mostly worked with for a lot of my time. Yeah. Um, they give our communities their character, but the biggest thing is, you know, when I shop local, it often costs more. So what's going to get me over that objection? What's going to make me buy something at the little local stop rather than ordering something similar, much cheaper on Amazon. Well, because I'm not buying the item, I'm buying that person's taste. Mm -hmm. I'm buying that person's business continuing to be in business. I'm buying into something that goes beyond the item, the service, the, the, whatever it is that I'm buying. Right. And so that's, I think the main thing for any business, no matter what it is, no matter what you do, that's the biggest thing to keep in mind. I've worked with financial advisors you know, which doesn't seem like it would be particularly, you know, story driven, except it is because you are helping people, you're helping equip people to write their own life stories in the direction that they want to write them. Because if they want to be someone who retires early, if they want to be someone who can support their family, if they want to be whatever these things are, you're helping them write that story. Mm -hmm. So, so these are really, um, Never underestimate the power of small, the power of personal, and the power of giving people a story to root for. No matter how big you are, no matter how small you are, it's something anyone can do, and it's something not enough brands do do, which is why you can stand out by doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, I, I'm I'm remembering some things that I've read in Mark Schaefer's book, uh, The Human Rebellion, uh, the Marketing Rebellion, marketing where rebellion. He, right uh, he, he tells a story about... Um, People that that will willingly buy a ten dollar bar of soap from the people they know down the street who make yes. the soap and you know support the family and do all that stuff, as opposed I've to like literally done that story. Yeah, like literally, I used to buy the big old thing of you know squeezy bottle of body wash to put in my poof. You know, I'd buy the body wash at CVS, and now I buy handmade soap from people I know. <laughs> like I have actually <laughs> done the literal version of this story. Yeah. And, and it's because, you know, you, you want to have uh, your skin in the game is I'm supporting a business that I know and that I, I might go to church with, see at the grocery store, at the county fair, whatever you do. And, and that has real impact. So I'm, I'm happy to spend the, the $2 more as opposed to like the $8 uh, Dove behemoth uh, yeah. box of, of soap. Any uh, brand has the power to tap into someone wanting the choices they make to imply things about who they are. Mm, that's so a tweet. Yeah. So if you are a brand, you can leverage that, that power. You know, you are someone who buys the, the handmade local soap to support local business, as opposed to I'm the person who buys the generic squeezy bottle at CVS. You know, right. That's a different story you're telling and you can embrace that as part of your identity. And if you're a brand, you can encourage people to embrace that as part of their own identities. Cool. I think that that's a lesson that anybody can take, but especially, mm-hmm. you know, the small business owners that have more skin in the game. Um, we, we first, you and I met officially, I think at social media week, Lima in 2019, yep. was it, or was it 2020? Uh, I, I think, think it's it 2020. 21. 21. What yeah. year is it again? 2022. Okay, great. What is time anymore? I don't know. Um, and <laughs> and I, I was really thrilled to meet you because you you were kind of a, you are still kind of a rock star. Whenever I see Christine oh. Grittman, I'm like, it's Christine Grittman. Thank you. know, you. so um, kind of a fanboy here. But uh, let's not get that 
uh, let, let's keep it professional on the marketing distilled podcast. I, the, the only reason why I bring that up is that uh, you have previously been a speaker panelist at uh, Social Media Week Lima, but because of your new role with Agora Pulse and the Social Media Pulse community, you, I think, took uh, kind of a step back from live tweeting the heck out of things and, and being like uh, the unofficial spokesperson of, of the conference. And I think this gave you some really interesting perspective on the conference. Uh, what are some takeaways that you gained from, from attending? And who are some of the people that you thought were really interesting and we should uh, kind of pay attention to in, in their work? So you bring up an interesting point, which is I'm at this weird shift now where I'm juggling the hats I'm wearing. Right. So previously, events for me were an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to grow my network, and an opportunity to build my own personal brand. Honestly, events did a lot of that for me. And so now, now that we're in heavy events season again, I'm juggling three different hats. So on the one hand, I still am going to some things as Christine Gritman, rocking the red, the personal branding, mm -hmm. and some of that came into Social Media Week Lima 2022, as I'll talk about. I'm also... Christine, the senior editor of Social Media Pulse, which is this brand new online community that just launched in March. Mm -hmm. So we are very much still trying to get awareness. And Social Media Pulse was a sponsor of Social Media Week Lima 2022, which was cool. Interesting thing, Agora Pulse is the parent company of Social Media Pulse, but we sort of have a separation in a way. Um, so Agora Pulse usually is a sponsor of Social Media Week Lima. This time Social Media Pulse was, but at some of the upcoming conferences that I'm going to, Agora Pulse is the sponsor, mm -hmm. not Social Media Pulse. Yeah, it, it just makes we, sense. It, yeah. it just depends on what makes sense in, in the context of the conference, whether or not you um, do you know your main brand or push another brand that yeah, you're part of. So, at Social Media Week Lima, Christine Gritman with the red, mm -hmm. Christine Gritman and Christine Gritman, um, actually served as the pre-show live stream host. So for many weeks preceding Social Media Week Lima this year, I went live in the Social Media Week Lima Facebook group every week, interviewing different small business owners who were going to be there. And they were very short interviews, but basically I'd invite them to tell everyone about their businesses. Mm -hmm. The theme of social media week Lima this year was co-create. Right. So I asked them what co-create means to them and to tell us about times that they have co-created in their business. And then uh, we hyped the conference. So that was kind of done as just Christine Gritman until towards the end. Social media pulse decided towards the end of this to become a sponsor. So I asked Jess if it was okay for me to start saying, and this is brought to you by Social Media Pulse. And she was like, yeah, sure, whatever, whatever go for it. And Jess is so, uh, Jessica Phillips, the yes. president and founder of Now Marketing, who sponsors the Social Media Week yes, Lima she, she runs the whole thing. This was her 10th Social Media Week Lima that she has run. 10 years, um, man. And the fact that she can get that many people to Lima, Ohio is just, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. She's just, and it's always an incredible event. I've said so, that um, the Social Media Lima is probably one of the best conferences that I've attended. Now, I used to be uh, part of the Louisville Digital Association in Louisville, Kentucky, and mm -hmm. Jason Falls and Karen Freeberg and some other folks would, would, would put together for that down in Jefferson County in Kentucky. That was a great conference to be a part of. And uh, Social Media World or Week Lima 
in uh, in Lima, Ohio, of all places, is also a great thing. And it is a testament to Jessica's uh, leadership ability that she can bring all these people into a town that nobody knows about practically. She gets, she gets and, big names. She gets people brings who them over. At social media. She gets people who speak at social media marketing world, herself included. Right. Um, so the fact that she can get the same type of lineup as a much larger and more prominent event means that when you go to social media week, Lima, you have the opportunity to get that quality of learning and that quality of connection at a fraction of the price and you get to meet everybody because mm-hmm. instead of thousands of people, it's hundreds of people. And, right. um, and, and she really emphasizes the togetherness and the uh, personal relationships. So, so that's, that's a huge thing you get out of social media week, Lima always. So who, who were some of the speakers that you thought were, were especially good this year? Um, so I will admit that again, since I was juggling my different hats, I had, um, I was spending a lot of my time interviewing speakers for Social Media Pulse. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get to see everything, but I have the schedule in front of me here. So this was really cool. Chad Ia Peterson. Chad Ia Peterson, a.k.a. the story catcher. Um, he's been one of those people for a few years now where people know him, but they may not necessarily know what he does. So he's been kind of finding his way. Mm-hmm. And he has found his way. Yeah. So... Um, First of all, at last year's Social Media Week Lima, the one where you and I met in person, he connected with Kate Scavish from um, Scavish uh, from Wave Video. Mm-hmm. They were about to launch their new live streaming tool, and so they enlisted him to work with them. And he's become the face of their new live streaming tool. We went to Social Media Marketing World in March, and there was merchandise with his face on it. That's crazy. <laughs> They're live streaming. So first of all, he's the live streaming guy now. But he, this was the first, this Social Media Week Lima 2022 was the first event where he served as the MC. Right. He had already been just kind of starting to do speaking work and he spoke at Lima in August and he made me cry. And I'm seeing him give basically the same talk in Wichita and I'm going to cry again. <laughs> Um, because he comes from a theater background, so he's good at delivery, but he's also extremely genuine. Mm -hmm. And so what he brought to the stage this year as the MC of social media week, Lima, he could have just coasted on natural charm and stage presence. He did so much work to take it so much farther. He had like a little bit for like most of the speakers <laughs> that surprised and delighted them. Um, for example, Phil Palin, his thing was about, um, you know, steal my content strategy. Mm-hmm. And so right after he got off the stage, Chad shows up with this like bandit mask and a big sack that said like a Santa style sack, but like brown. Yeah, burlap that sack. That Phil's content. <laughs> and he ran around the auditorium with it. Um, you know, someone talked about virtual reality. Mark Suter talked about virtual reality. And um, Chad came out right on cue wearing a Google Cardboard on mm-hmm. his face. Um, he just had one of those for, like, everyone. He just put that extra bit of effort in to go from effective to remarkable. And and so Chad Ia Peterson, um, definitely, if you're an event planner, um, get him to MC. Because he will bring it. Mm-hmm. 
And again, this being Social Media Week Lima, it, everyone has personal relationships with him now. Um, speakers who hadn't met him before, he's like buds with now. So yeah. that that was fantastic. Um, a lot of this event taught not like excessively so, but several of the of the presenters talked about things relating to Web three. And the thing I appreciated was that it was in a non jargony way because right. that's what drives people crazy. You get kind of the, the web three evangelists who talk about it like, um, you know, like they're more enlightened beings. Somehow. Right. <laughs> and we're all just suckers. We're getting caught behind. Mm-hmm. Of course, some of us look at them like they're the suckers. Yeah. And it's, it's just like, there's a, it really puts up walls when you get too jargony about it. Right. But this is a Jessica Phillips event. So she is all about making people feel welcome, which meant that the speakers, nobody talked down to us. Nobody uh, tried to puff us up with too much hype about it. They just explained, here's what you need to know. Mm-hmm. So um, her boyfriend, actually, Mark Suter, happens to be a, a teacher at the local high school doing stuff about virtual reality and business. So he talked about that and he's a teacher. So it was very clear. Um, Brian Fanzo, he's gone right. all in on NFTs and crypto. He has a, a daily podcast, daily, every single day um, called NFT 360. But he didn't talk about why we all need to be spending all our money on monkey pictures. No, no. He talked about community and he mm-hmm. explained that NFTs are really about um, creating a sense of digital ownership and creating a feeling of being part of something. Instead of following something, instead of just joining something, you are part of something. And if it succeeds and you're a, you own it, you succeed. Um, and he explained how this connects to community and how um, social tokens and just digital experiences in general just really, it's about feeling like part of something. Mm-hmm. And he explained it really, really clearly. Uh, Junte Delane talked about um, ways that businesses need to be prepared for the metaverse and Web3. Because um, a lot of people are kind of sitting that out <laughs> at the moment. Right. And he was explaining how, you know, that's where that's where people are headed. Here's some things you need to know. You don't have to jump in with both feet. But here's some stuff you need to be aware of. And so that was really great. If, uh, um, if you were to be asked, like mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you now, um, if say like a small business owner or small organization should get into the NFT mm-hmm. thing, what would you say to them? Know what value you're planning on bringing first. You can't be like, oh, but cryptocurrency has value. No, you have to figure out how this is going to further people's feelings of investment in your business, in your community, because it is about feeling a sense of ownership of being a part of something. So you can't just jump on it without giving thought to what you're giving back here, um, what experiences you're going to give people um, who are part of this, how you're going to really make people feel valued as part of this. It can't be about, well, this is the next big thing. You really mm-hmm. have to give thought to what your goals are with it. And I will admit that I'm not super well-versed in that yet, which is why I'm not doing anything with it yet. But it is something we're looking at because, I mean, Social Media Pulse is an online community. Right. <laughs> so um, it could be. you mentioned Mark Schaefer earlier. He was not at this event, uh, though he was last year. Mm-hmm. But he and I had a great talk 
where he explained it to me really well and how he's using his Rise coin to give people experiences and to reward people for being members of his community. And it's not about, oh, this is crypto. It's it's about um it's about making people feel like a part of something. So yeah. I'm I'm looking into that a bit more. Um, so according that, to according to what you said to me, it sounds like that uh well my my opinion of it as as like a novice and a naive person as it as it is right now, uh it's just like an uh, a beanie a beanie baby. That's what they all are you know, comparing it to. And it's, it's less nonsensical than that. And and then <laughs> hearing what you say here is like if if you create something, then then that could be like your banner of like your tribe and what does this give to you as as a as a member as a purchaser of this NFT. So that that gives me a different perspective on things. There's a lot of different directions to go with it. Um so yeah, it made it seem and again the the point the whole theme of this year's conference was co-create. So the whole reason we were even talking about web3 and NFTs and things like that is because they really are the next level in community building. And so um, co-creation of a community is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. But not everything was about Web3. We had plenty of kind of more traditional um, social media sessions, but it was all really all really um, geared towards creation and collaboration. We had a panel um, that was all small business owners talking about collaborations and and community. And then there are, of course, there are things, you know, about promoting yourself, about branding, about video. Um, Crystal, Tosh, and Bree Seely both talked about just being authentic and about how branding is no longer about the old school, fitting into the old school boxes of what a professional looks like. They were all about empowering you to be yourself because now that's what creates a more authentic connection that doesn't block people from relating to you because they say, oh, they're unprofessional or rather it blocks the wrong people right. for you. And and so that was a really great thing to hear. Um, Rich Brooks talked about remarkability. He talks about, uh, which again is about how do you shine? Not how do you fit into an existing box? How do you shine? And how does that enable you to create more authentic connections? Um. And, and so that was that was really great. And of course, there were some more tactical things like uh, Doreen Moore and Van Dam talked about agile marketing. Um, my husband is a uh, project manager for a tech company, and they've used agile methodology for a long time. So I've heard the term bandied about, but Doreen really explained that it's about getting something out there, not waiting till things are perfect, getting something out there so that you can iterate based on community feedback. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're doing with social media pulse. We got something out there that was, you know, not perfect. We kind of rushed it out a little bit, but we gave a lot of thought to it. And the whole point is now that we have people in it, what are they responding to? What did they want us to make better? What are their ideas? So we can build, build it further. We can iterate based on that. We've already um, read on the homepage layout a little bit based on um, what people were and weren't clicking on, what people were and weren't having trouble finding. Um, as the editor, I'm responsible for all of the articles, all mm-hmm. of them, me. Um, <laughs> so so I am starting to see, you know, I'm moving now from a stage of what can I get 
to a stage of what do people want Mm -hmm. and what are we not giving them yet that we could be giving them and should be giving them or what are we giving them that they want more of um so that's that's what i want i want to take my marching orders from the community Mm -hmm. and so agile methodology is all about that it's about put something out there listen (laughs) and then iterate and that's how you co-create something so that's next stronger. next year, I'm I'm assuming that there will be a uh, social media week Lima 2023. Are you going there to be? Better be. Uh, are you going to be there? Yeah. Okay. They're already selling tickets for it. Well, I'm I'm going to try to be there too. I I had to skip out the this past year, and I hated to miss this the speakers. And it sounds like I missed a lot of uh, things. A L- little bit of FOMO on I have the. I'm feeling it'll be incredible next year too. Yeah. I think you'll be all right. Yeah. Um, because Jessica always brings the best people and the best experiences, and that's what really stands out about Social Media Week Lima. The fact that I mean, some. We're we're going to bring this to a close with right. some, uh, like. You're, you're at Agora Pulse right now. Tell us what Agora mm-hmm. Pulse is and tell us what social media Pulse community is and how we can get uh, involved Absolutely. in both. So I will start with Agora Pulse. Agora Pulse is our kind of parent um, company. Agora Pulse is a company I've had a relationship with for years. I've been an ambassador for a while. I've used and loved the product. It is a social media scheduling and planning software, but it is more than that. It also has the best reporting and insights of any of those. There are other programs, an increasing number of programs where you can schedule out your social posts. I mean, Canva, you can schedule them right out now. Adobe has has uh, things now where you can schedule right from your content creation tool. Agora Pulse, first of all, does that on another level. You can schedule in all sorts of different ways, including recurring cues, including hmm. including just all this incredible stuff. But their reporting is really what sets them apart. You get an incredible level of insights as to what's working for you, why it's working, what about it is working. And they just released in March this new social ROI tool that will actually link into your Google Analytics So you can follow someone's whole journey so you can actually prove the return on investment of your social media activities. Wow. So I'm super proud to work with Agora Pulse. They're incredible. And I thought so way before they were paying me. (laughs) That's great. And it's especially valid that I'm saying this because what I do for them has nothing to do with the Agora Pulse product. So Agora Pulse saw that a lot of Software as a service companies had their own online communities and they were thinking about doing that for a while. And most online communities are for users of the software about how to use it better. They're essentially support communities. Right. They decided to go in a different direction. They said, you know what? Nope. We're going to make this an online destination that just serves social media professionals in general. They don't have to use Agora Pulse and it's not about using Agora Pulse. They had already purchased in 2020, Agora Pulse purchased this, this thing called Social Media Manager School, which is created by Andrea Vall and Phyllis Kerr. And um, that has teach that teach, geez, that has taught and trained thousands of people how to use social media better. It's not a live show. This is okay. <laughs> Sorry? It's not a live show. It's okay. <laughs> And so they had purchased Social Media Manager School in 2020 and weren't sure exactly what to do with it. And then it all came together. They said, you know what? We're going to put Social Media Manager School and a community where people can talk and connect and discuss and learn together. 
and a whole bunch of great content, valuable content from, from thought leaders, from emerging voices, just all this stuff. We're going to put it all in one place because, you know, you can go to HubSpot Academy for, for training, or you can go to um, Social Media Examiner for great articles, or you can um, go to some paid member communities for great discussions. And we even had our own really good Facebook group, also called Social Media Pulse, very confusing. Um <laughs> where you can have great discussions, but we said, we're going to put it all in one place, trainings, conversations, connections, content, and heck let's throw in a job board so we can help people actually get jobs with all of this knowledge. This is crazy. Oh, and let's make it free. 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 Can't beat free with a stick now. Can we? You cannot beat free with a stick. So they assembled an all-star team. So we have, Paul Bradley is our global head of community. He has developed communities for tons of tech companies over the years. So he knows best practices of community building for, um, for um, you know, communities. Deb Mitchell is our community manager, and she has managed community for Social Media Examiner. She actually teaches people how to manage online communities. She was doing social for Agora Pulse for a little while. So she is in charge of just blowing it out saying what is missing in this space and what can we give people? Mm. Um, and she's been in this space for a while. So she's really coming up with all sorts of ideas for how we can bring value. I, uh, Dr. I volunteered Ruth- for social media uh, marketing world in 2019, I think. Mm-hmm. And they put me with a connections crew led by yep. Deb Mitchell and Deb is a rock star. She is a rock star. She's a legend in community. She, uh, we stole Dr. Ruth Inman from Academia to run Pulse Academy, which is the renaming of Social Media Manager School. We still have one of the founders of Social Media Manager School, Phyllis Kerr, um, working with us as a consultant. But Ruth, um, Ruth has taught social media. She is highly educated in social media. And now she is um, really seeing how good our trainings can get. We're going to have certification programs eventually. She's assembled an incredible board of people to um, to make sure that our certifications will actually mean something in the mm-hmm. industry. And um, so that's great. And then I'm the head of content. I'm, I'm the senior editor. And so I make sure that we have great articles going up every day, every weekday anyway. And when I go to events like Social Media Week Lima, I take advantage of the opportunity to pick the brains of some of our industry's greatest thought leaders. And I also welcome new voices. And there are some people who had never published something online before who um, I've brought in and had write articles because I think that, you know, a variety of perspectives is incredibly important. And I want to help help lift people up. I want to help I want to help lift people up both by giving them access to these incredible established thought leaders who they might not otherwise get to access, but also I want to lift people up by helping them develop their own voices, by helping them share their own perspectives and hopefully being a part in their personal brand journeys, honestly. So it's very compatible with, with my purpose Hmm. and, and, and it's fantastic. And I don't even have to give Christine Gritman Inc up. I am in fact, the opening speaker for Social Media Day Wichita this year, their entire day is personal branding themed and I'm kicking it off. And you know, when I'm on that stage, I'm wearing my Christine Gritman Inc. 
self. I'm not going to be wearing my social media pulse space friend shirt. I'm going to be rocking my bright red. Mm -hmm. Um, but then guess what I'm doing at lunch? Changing a hat. I'm interviewing people for social media pulse on a live stream. And then later I'm live tweeting some stuff for Agora pulse, who is a sponsor. So (laughs) thankfully all these different hats I have to wear are actually very, very, um, compatible. Yeah. Because they're all genuine to who I am. All of them are all about empowering people to do this thing we call social media as well as possible and to feel good about themselves while doing it. So I'm really excited that now I have three different ways that I'm involved with helping people to do that. And it really sounds like what, I mean, what I'm hearing today is that it it all is, is what you have learned over the course of your career. And it, it really is just just a if you were to visualize a diamond if you turn that diamond you get to see a little bit more of the diamond and little facets come up and different things I have a diamond come. right here on my finger hey yeah <laughs> if this were a video show you'd get to see a grainy zencaster uh video of it so um in in the time that we have um yes. let's let, tell tell my listeners where they can find you and how they can connect with you on social media. Absolutely. So if you want to connect with me, I am the only Christine Gritman. Grit, G-R-I-T, like when something is gritty, M-O-N, like Monday. So I'm the only Christine Gritman, which is great. Very easy to find me. I'm C. Gritman on Twitter and Instagram, Christine Gritman Inc. on Facebook, Christine Gritman on LinkedIn, And I host a live stream every Friday at 12 noon Eastern called Let's Talk About Brand. But don't just show up for the live stream where I interview experts. Also show up a few days earlier on Twitter for my chat about brand Twitter chat on the same topic. Because the conversation that we have on that Twitter chat always informs the conversation I have with my guest. So if you want access to ask one of my brilliant guests a question or to kind of explore a particular area of the topic... You know, participating in my Tuesday chat about brand Twitter chat is the way to do that because that directly informs the Friday live stream. I'm also gritman.com. Okay. Um, and then also social media pulse, social media pulse.community is where to find that. Anyone can be a dot com. We're a dot community. So social media pulse dot community. We have conversations, we have trainings, and of course, we have fabulous content every single day that you should be sure to click on and comment on. Everything in there is built to start conversations and discussions and connections. I assume that Agora Pulse is a paid product. Do you have uh, like a 14-day trial of any sort that you offer folks just to get their feet wet and, and get started I with that product? I should really know the answer to that. They, they, have, they have changed their offers um, here and there, and I'm, I'm not sure what their offer is right now. I'll be really honest with you. Okay. <laughs> I'll, but they, but they I'll look that fantastic. up and I'll put that in the show notes. I highly recommend checking them out. They're wonderful. Um, I, I used them for, for years. And yes, you can get free tools, but remember you get what you pay for. Right. Very good. Well, Christine, thanks so much for uh, being the first guest on the Marketing Distilled podcast. Woo-hoo. And uh, to those listening, I hope that you found this to be insightful, encouraging, educational, all that stuff. And uh, tune in next time when we talk about another topic to be determined. Thanks so much.
This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.